This is Far From Home. I'm Scott Gurian. So we're almost a year and a half into living with COVID-19, and here in the U.S., there are signs of hope that things are slowly getting better and we'll soon be able to go back to pre-pandemic life. But it's a far different story in much of the rest of the world, where mass vaccinations still appear to be a long way off. If you've been listening to this podcast over the past many months, you know that I've been producing an occasional series where I've asked friends and colleagues around the world to send me recordings from their cell phones describing what the current situation with coronavirus is like where they live. So far, we've heard from people in a dozen different countries on five continents. And by the way, if you missed those earlier episodes, I've linked to them in my show notes. It's been a while since I've done this, so I thought now would be a good time to check in with a few more friends in far-flung places to get a sense of the impact this virus is having. So let's get started with my friend Sam, who lives in Tunis, the capital of Tunisia. Hey there, Scott. I'm just leaving my house now. I, um... I live in an old colonial villa right on the beach and I'm walking, leaving my house and going to get a taxi before the car curfew starts at 7 p.m. Lots of people on my little street today because I live right next to the beach and it's gotten warm and sunny enough now for people to go swimming. So like people walking by with towels over their shoulders and flip-flops on and bathing trunks streets aren't jam-packed, but they're certainly far, far, far from empty. After all, this curfew that's going on now is a car curfew, like no car movements after 7, which is not very well respected, though anybody out with a car after 7 p.m. can be, like, grabbed by the cops and have to pay a fine, a hefty fine. A lot of people flout this law, but I just want to be extra sure in case I am stopped. And then there's a can't-go-out-of-your-house curfew at 10 p.m. Um, there's a new, what's being called a uh, comprehensive lockdown being imposed as of tomorrow for a week. I think it means that like all cafes and restaurants will be closed because people frequently don't follow the regulations around you know, keeping cafes only halfway or a third filled, or everybody wearing masks, or the servers wearing masks. So this is much more comprehensive. It's also going to affect like inter-province travel. So apparently they're shutting down movement between different provinces of the country. It's kind of amazing here though how many people... I don't know if they have sort of COVID fatigue, or they're just ignorant of how serious the disease can be. Or it's maybe like a kind of mark of manliness to like not wear your mask or not wear it fully. Like loads of people wear the mask below their nose. It's just, it boils my blood. Like as if somehow, you know, wearing the mask below your nose still protects you. My name is Thies Wachter. I'm sitting on a tree trunk in a forest in Bern, Switzerland. If I recorded this while sitting on a terrace of a restaurant in the city centre, you would never know from listening that we are in the middle of a pandemic, since there are lots of people out enjoying the sun, talking, eating and drinking. But I prefer to stay in nature, alone. 
This is the COVID situation here in Switzerland. Many are giving up social distancing. Others are still cautious. Since mid-April, restaurants are allowed to serve customers outside again. Fitness clubs, cinemas, museums and other cultural institutions are open again. For people in our neighboring countries like Germany, France or Italy, Switzerland's, let's say, openness is surprising and confusing. The Swiss government has opened up the country while the third wave infection figures are still rising and the vaccination campaign is lagging behind. I am Emeline, recording this from Cameroon. So I basically reside in the capital city of the country, which is Yaoundé. And throughout Cameroon, we are experiencing a second wave of the pandemic. And that has led to the death of some high-ranking personalities of the country. We've lost a senator. We've lost an official at the Ministry of Public Health. We've lost a good number of politicians. And I mean, the list is quite long. So Cameroonians have basically been mourning between the month of April and May. My name is Franz de Freitas and I'm in the Caribbean island of Antigua and Barbuda. Several people in Antigua and Barbuda have gotten sick from COVID-19. I personally only know a handful of people. However, there has been 32 deaths and many people are skeptical that there could be more than are being reported. My name's Aldo and I'm at the roof of my parents' house in a small town. It's called Zacapuaxla in the center of Mexico. It's difficult because the situation of the country in general is not uh, the best. They have dealt with it not exactly perfectly, especially in terms of the logistics of how they deal with the situation. I mean, of course, there must be cases of corruption in some parts, but in general, it's good. Talking with my mom, who is a nursing chief in the hospital here, she told me she realized that we were not ready for a situation like this. We were not used to simple things like washing our hands or using sanitizer and the hospitals were not equipped sufficiently. I mean, I guess that was something that happened all around the world, but it was something to deal with, especially here in the center of Mexico. Switzerland is a nation without experience of war and crisis for a century. We are spoiled by our prosperity and security. The coronavirus is an unusual wake-up call. There are even still demonstrators who object to wearing masks and not being allowed to eat in restaurants. I sense a lot of ignorance here, but also a lot of prudence from people who take the situation seriously. More than 10,000 people have now died in Switzerland, including many senior citizens in nursing homes. That's in a country with 8.5 million people, which is slightly more than the population of New York City. So even though our situation is a lot better than it's been in New York and many other places, it still feels really bad to many of us who live here. Vaccinations have started here. Actually, a couple of weeks was 
down in um, a real distant working class suburb outside of Tunis with this photographer colleague of mine and we were talking to uh, the scouts, like Tunisian boy scouts, girl scouts, doing a story about how they're helping with the vaccination efforts. So current vaccination protocol is for people 60 years and older and for frontline health workers. But it's still like very low numbers, you know, it's like less than 2% of the entire population has been vaccinated. It just seems like there's a real lack of organization in the state here, both in terms of implementing the policy. They can put restrictions in name, but getting people to close their cafes, getting people to limit gatherings, getting people to stop moving between different regions of the country. I mean, little of that is actually implemented day to day. But also the communication about these policies and about these decisions has been either lacking or also disorganized. The government in Antigua and Barbuda is really pressing the population to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. However, there are some religious minority groups that are somewhat resistant and have pushed back and um, there is an education campaign that is seeking to bring them into compliance. Many incentives have been put in place, ranging from free Kentucky Fried Chicken to money, as well as technological devices to coerce individuals to be able to get vaccinated. When you go to the vaccination centers, you see a lot of people queuing up for the vaccine. People who are educated, well-traveled, and who really don't want to die. Workers who work in institutions where they are being obliged to take the vaccine or their contracts are going to be terminated. And then you also have another set of people believing that COVID vaccine has been invented to kill Africans, to wipe out the African race. People believing that a vaccine has some sort of chips in it that uh, once injected in the human body permits like the Western world to control Africans. And I think that it all boils down to the government's poor communication around what the vaccine is meant for, what the vaccine is meant to do, what the vaccine cannot prevent. So this is causing a lot of vaccine hesitancy. And it's affecting a lot of things. People are a little bit skeptical, not allowing vaccination campaigns. You have a lot of misconceptions around it and it's quite sad. For me, what's the most shocking is how some people are still reluctant to get vaccinated. Because I think what's missing is a culture of education and this is also from part of the government to really understand what the virus is and how it is produced and how it is transmitted and what is shocking for me is that some places have started to open some nightclubs people just go and they think they're immune to the virus but it's not the case the economy in Antigua and Barbuda has been devastated and the government here is doing everything, including a big push to get to herd immunity so that the tourist-based economy can reopen and we can invite cruise tourist passengers to come back to Antigua and Barbuda.
members of the public do express concerns about tourists bringing COVID-19 to Antigua, especially because the protocols for tourists vary to the protocols for citizens and residents. All tourists are encouraged to wear masks and abide by protocols already established. The issue is that the government and officials want tourists to be comfortable and want them to be relaxed and so the protocols are not enforced as they are with the local population and that leads to some disparate treatment that makes the local population quite uncomfortable. The government's communication plans around informing people about the virus, what it does, how you get it, where it comes from, measures that need to be taken to stop it, as well as its own policy decisions. Okay, now the curfew is at 8 p.m., it's at 7 p.m. Cafes can only have a third capacity. Taxis can only carry, you know, one passenger, two passengers. All of these things, I don't know where people learn about it, like from Facebook pages of the Ministry of Health or the occasional pronouncement by like the prime minister on television. Usually it's just through the grapevine. You learn about what are the government's kind of constantly shifting declarations on health policy. You learn them like by word of mouth most often. People say, oh yeah, didn't you know? You know, car curfew is at 7 p.m. So you should leave my house soon or we should go home soon. street is packed right now. I hope I can find a, an empty taxi to go over to my friend's house, which I won't be able to come home from because by that point, after having a drink in her garden or something, after that point, it will be curfew, curfew, and I won't be able to find a taxi to get home. Unlikely. I mean, it's possible, but unlikely. Though, just to note, they do have a, um, a kind of deluxe sort of taxi app system here called Oto, O-T-O, and the cars are black, the drivers wear like vests, they're real cleaned up, got their hair gelled back, very different from the average taxi experience. The rates are usually four or five times what you would pay for a normal taxi, so this is quite, quite expensive, but I have been stopped after curfew in one of these deluxe taxi service, and the policeman got out of his Jeep, looked at us and looked at the driver, the driver waved at him, and the policeman got right back in his Jeep and said, carry on, and, and drove away. And so did we. And I heard, I don't know, everything is rumor here, but I heard that's because the drivers of this deluxe taxi service are former policemen themselves, and so are kind of untouchable by the law. So they can drive you home at 2 in the morning under the strictest curfew, and, you know, they can't be arrested or fined, or you won't be stopped. Anyway, I might have to get one of those taxi services if I can't find a regular taxi on this packed street just before the car curfew goes into effect in a few minutes. I myself have not gotten sick so far. Neither has my wife or our two teenagers. I don't want to take unnecessary risks by meeting too many people or traveling on crowded trains. That's why I prefer to work in my office, where I'm alone most of the time. The Covid situation has given me a lot of work, 
which is quite paradoxical. Listening to podcasts is very popular now. We had a strict lockdown a year ago. That's when I met a good friend who is a botanist. He has a real passion for flowers and plants and is a perfect storyteller. So we decided to start a podcast in Swiss German, where we go outside and talk about a different plant that's in bloom. Früher haben sie es aber ausgegraben, also du bringst mir gerade von einem Punkt, die haben sie es... Da, der Hummusweber! Das, da ist er, der Hummusweber, an der Blüte! Ich komme mit dem Mikrofon wieder her, mal schauen, ob der tönt. It's our way of escaping the Covid situation. We have a lot of fun going out and doing the recordings. The listeners love it, we've gotten a lot of positive responses. Going out into nature and observing plants and insects has become part of my new routine. We humans are such a small part of nature. Plants, birds and insects don't suffer from Covid-19. That can be a healing thought sometimes. If you happen to understand Swiss German and you're interested in checking out Thies Wachter's Botany podcast, I've linked to it in my show notes. Thanks also to Emmeline in Cameroon, Franz in Antigua and Barbuda, Aldo in Mexico, and Sam in Tunisia. Sam wanted me to tell you that he's currently working with a team of young beginner journalists in Mosul, Iraq. They're making a podcast telling stories of ordinary Iraqis that explain the history, culture, and politics of their country, which the U.S. is deeply implicated in. You can learn more by following Sam on Twitter at Sam on the Road. Thanks also to Poddington Bear for providing this track you're listening to right now. As I mentioned earlier, if you missed the previous episodes in my COVID stories series, I've linked to them in the show notes so you could go back and listen. You could follow Far From Home on Instagram, Facebook, or Clubhouse, and follow me on Twitter at Scott Gurian. I'll leave you today with one final recording. It's a message of hope sent to me by my colleague Morgan Childs, who's a journalist and podcast producer based in Prague in the Czech Republic. I've been thinking a lot recently about how in March and April of 2020, I spent a lot of time dreaming of going to movie theaters and sitting in bars with friends and working in cafes instead of in my own apartment all the time. And this year I'm experiencing something similar. But I have to say that there are months and months of angst behind it, which is making it that much harder. I'll give you some context. I got COVID in September, and at the time, it seemed like everybody in Prague had it. Then after that, cases just snowballed. The Czech Republic became the worst hit country in Europe. And for a period of time earlier this year, it actually had the world's highest national death rates. So... To say that the government made some missteps is really a grave understatement. So, rough winter, rough spring, but the worst news of all is, to me, the weather. It is still cold, and the cherry blossoms have been in full bloom for several weeks, and I have traded my down coat for a wool one, I think for good, I hope for good, but it is still cold, and it is time. 
for a Prague spring. We are overdue. A little bit of thaw here in anxiety and the uncertainty and all of the tension. I really think so. So as restrictions are slowly starting to lift, of course, I'm dreaming of that day that we can go to movie theaters again and bars and work in cafes. But more than anything, I want to sit outside in a bit of summer sunshine. I want this winter to be over. And I want to sit there with a beer, of course, because this is Prague, after all. Prague.